See, I, I love this because I get to use fun words. Congratulations, maestro. Well done. Thank you. Thank you, orchestra. Praise the Lord. Thank you, choir. And the choir is going to present one more song at the close of the service, which I'm looking forward to. So they've agreed to let me sing with them. Celio offered to let me direct the last song, but man, that's just like too big of shoes to fill these days. So welcome. So today we're going to continue our goat series. And if you're a visitor, don't be looking around for the goat. The goat is the greatest of all time. And today we're going to be talking about the greatest road trip of all time because it's that time of year. People are planning and taking road trips. Now, these days, when you talk about road trips, of course, people can sometimes cheat a little bit and they'll include other modes of transportation. But purists would argue that nothing's more memorable than hitting the road. Notice I said memorable. I didn't say perfect. I didn't say smooth. I simply said it's more memorable. Nothing's more memorable than hitting the road, the highways and the byways, in your whatever it might be, convertible, your SUV, if you're really lucky, minivan full of kids. In my past, it was a station wagon. That was what we all loaded up in. And just seeing where the road takes you. And And quite often on a real road trip, while the ultimate destination may be fixed, you may know you're going from this area, the Washington, D.C. capital area, and heading towards the Grand Canyon. It's often true that on a a real road trip, there's some flexibility to, to shorten or lengthen some drive days, to spend an extra day in a region or a city that you get a surprise in, you decide you want to stay, it's great. So, hey, this week, summer started. Can I get an amen? It's officially here, and summertime means vacation for most Americans. Sometime this summer you're going to take one, maybe a a day trip or two to the beach. It may be a long weekend road trip. It may be a, a couple weeks that you've been saving up to really take and get away from your regular everyday world. And that's really what it's about, isn't it? Vacations, road trips, they're about getting away from what we call normal life. Now, that may mean a job that's high stress. It may mean getting away from taking care of the yard. Yesterday, I spread 22 bags of mulch, and I'm ready for a break from the yard, right? It may be giving yourself or your children a whole new experience, going someplace you've never been before, going to that new place and and carving out time to play and to reflect and to reconnect with our significant others in life. We all need that. Some people use, of course, their time away, their road trips, for some special aspect of service to others. A little bit later this summer, our Builders for Christ team will be joining hands with uh, other teams from across the country. They're going to head up to Connecticut and, and assist a church with its building needs. And this week, Brother Clark, I see you back there busy. Are we gonna do, when are we going to do that thing for Brazil? At the end? Okay. So at the end of our service today, we'll be calling up our Brazil team because they take off this Thursday. 
Uh, they'll be partnering with our partner church down in Texas, Crossroads Church, and with our partners already in Brazil. And over the next week or so, they'll be building a new chapel for a church in an underserved, poor area of Brazil in the Belo Horizonte area. So be praying for them. Uh, th- those kinds of trips, by the way, they're a great opportunity not just to get away, but to serve, to learn, to grow. And if you aren't going on one of those trips this year, let me just encourage you start now. Start planning, start saving a little extra cash, and get yourself a, a thought schedule. Talk to Pastor Clark about what our missions opportunities are going to be next year so that you can go on one of our missions excursions. Now, again, kind of like the road trips I mentioned earlier, everything doesn't always go right on those trips either. But they are spectacular opportunities for growing. And I will simply say this, whether we get rain or, or, or sun, whether everything goes smoothly, whether we completely finish or just get 98% done and, and have to leave, what we are able to do when we walk away, whether it's Kenya, Brazil, Builders for Christ, any of the things that, that we do, the end result is always the same. By the grace of God, we make some contribution to the work of the gospel somewhere else where it's not all about us. And that is, isn't that a gift in itself? You know, that's kind of like going to the hospital to visit somebody and they cheer you up, right? Going on a mission trip, you go to help people and they remind you that life is not all about you (laughs) and it's a blessing back to you. And so, as a church, we want to let that be our mindset. We come back from those road trips changed, undergoing transformation. That's really what a good road trip is always about, whether it's with your church or with your family or with friends. It's about new places, new experiences, new opportunities, new ways of thinking that combine to help create in us a new you. Getting out of our normal day-to-day lives gives us a chance to see differently, to hear things, to experiment, to challenge ourselves in ways that we've not done previously, a new reality that we may never have fully understood before. I I, I remember a road trip with my parents. You remember what a pop-up camper is, right? You pull out the sides, up pops the tent. Now, with a bunch of kids, that was all my parents could afford to do. So we did the pop-up camper trips. And I do remember one year they focused on the state parks that were all across the state of Virginia. And they would do it near historical sites that we would also go visit because when you've got seven kids, somebody is always studying Virginia history in the Virginia school curriculum. So that's what we did. Very, very memorable. I, I remember another road trip after my time in Brazil for a couple of years. I came back. I really wanted to reconnect with friends and family. And so I had a used 1977 Pontiac Trans Am T-Top. You remember Smokey and the Bandit? I had one of those exact cars. Drove from Virginia to Georgia to Florida to Louisiana to Texas to New Mexico where we had our missionary debriefing headed back across Tennessee to Virginia. You talk about a road trip. They, they mark us. Now, here's the thing. I rather suspect that just in me talking about those couple of road trips, you've been thinking about a road trip you've been on. 
You've been thinking, so here's what I want you to do. It's now that part you've all been waiting for, participation time. So I want you to do me a favor right now. You're going to turn to a neighbor, not your significant other. So if you're sitting with your spouse or your your significant other, find somebody else. But find one other person to pair up with real quick. I'm going to put these things up on the screen. Here's what I want you to share. You get two minutes each. We're going to give you a countdown. Talk about where you were going, how you got there, the route you followed, your favorite stop, what made it memorable, how it changed you, okay? Good? If you, now, if you don't know this person, since they're not your significant other, you can give them your name. But don't spend a lot of time talking about where you work and all that stuff. You haven't got time for it, okay? So, turn to somebody around you, not your significant other. Share your name and share your story. In two minutes, two minutes, I will change and give the other person the chance to speak. Go. Okay, you got about 30 seconds for the first person to finish. About 30 seconds for the first person to finish. Okay, other person's turn. So if you've been doing the talking, time to listen. Other person's turn. Two minutes. Yeah, keep the code words up there. Yeah, we need those. Yep. Where you went, how you went, route you followed.
30 seconds. Yep. You got your final 30 seconds here, folks. Okay, good. All right. I hope you've made a new friend. Can I get an amen from anybody? Anybody make a friend? All right, good, 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 good. Road trips change us. They change the direction of things. Now, there are a lot of road trips. I, I, when I started working through this in the Bible, I thought, which one am I going to preach on? Man, there are so many. You know, the first road trip was kind of a bad one. Adam and Eve out of the garden you go. First road trip. Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more. Uh, next one, a little bit better. Abraham, right? God called him from the land of Ur to a new place. Going to lead him to the land I will show you. Then there's Moses, who, who kind of gets two road trips, right? First road trip, he's fleeing after he murders the Egyptian. He runs off into the land of Midian, where he ends up on holy ground in front of God. And God says, hey, I got a job for you. Go back to Egypt. So he goes back to Egypt and does Moses road trip part two, taking up the people of God, leading them across the Red Sea toward the promised land. There's another one that I, I you know, kind of wish you had footage of this, don't you? You remember Elijah, how he checked out? The Bible says that a chariot of fire with horses of fire and a great whirlwind came down. He was there one minute, gone the next. Now, that's what I call an exit. That guy knows how to, how to exit stage right. You get to the New Testament. Now, it's interesting there because Jesus, almost his entire ministry was a road trip. You see, he walked places with his disciples. He taught them on the journey. He taught when he got there. He got in a boat, went across the lake, did stuff there in that city, went from town to town, village to village, city to city. His whole ministry was a road trip. And of course, we, we can't look past the road trip he took on foot, right? The very last one, the passion of the Christ where he carried his cross to Golgotha where he gave his life for us where he paid the penalty for sin. You, you might think that's a slam dunk for the greatest road trip of all time, but I really thought that's one we can't imitate. We can't do that quite the same way. So I thought I would take us in a slightly different direction, but we should acknowledge that that trip to Mount Calvary had eternal consequences for us. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Then there's that great post-resurrection road trip where Jesus joins two disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus, and they don't even recognize him until they break bread together. That, that almost won as the goat road trip today, because I think when you think you're going somewhere with somebody and it ends up to be something else entirely, that can make for a very interesting road trip. Could, could be the goat, but it wasn't. I thought about the road trip. Remember the one with Philip, where he meets an Ethiopian driving a chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, and leads him to faith in Christ and to baptism, which just for a quick second, a road, you know, a, a quick pit stop there on the, on the road trip with Philip, we need to understand what that teaches us about seeing Jesus even in the Old Testament, about individuals 
making a decision to follow Christ, which every now and then I'll hear somebody talk about, oh, that's not that, you know, it's really about the community of faith. Yeah, yeah, but you get into the community of faith by making your individual decision to follow Christ. And then the importance and the role of baptism and what it does and what it doesn't do. What, what a great road trip. But even with that new way of life and a new master for the Ethiopian eunuch, that did not win the greatest uh, of all time. But I will say this, we could have chosen any of those and had a great road trip today. But I chose a different one, and most of you now, you've been waiting for me to get to it. I haven't, so you are pro- probably correctly uh, ascertaining that the road trip I want us to talk about today is the one that belonged to a man named Saul, who we would later come to know as Paul, on the road trip he took from Jerusalem to Damascus, and an encounter he had uh, on that journey, that famous journey from the book of Acts chapter 9. Saul's road trip that he took interrupted by divine intervention by the living Lord Jesus Christ, and the resulting events that that came out of that could, I think, very legitimately be called the greatest road trip of all time. And so that's the story I've chosen today, Acts chapter 9. If you want to open your Bible to that chapter, or if you're one of those people that uses a Bible app open to Uh, Acts chapter 9. And I'm just going to say this to you. Feel free to be scanning through that while while we're working uh, today, uh, the story of the Damascus Road uh, event, because we're not going to do a verse-by-verse study today. Again, I want to clarify something very important about biblical preaching. And it's interesting to me, most of you who are in the church family know that I have a PhD in ethics, but my minor was in biblical preaching. And it strikes me as funny that here I've got a PhD in biblical preaching and I've discovered something in the course of my 30 years of pastoral ministry. And it's those folks who'll meet me at the door and they've been listening to their favorite radio preacher or their favorite TV preacher or internet preacher, and uh, what they come to say, well, pastor, you know, I appreciate that message today, but you know, really, the only true form of biblical preaching is verse-by-verse expository preaching. Now, I love verse-by-verse expository preaching. Those of you who have suffered, I mean, enjoyed me doing that, know that I love it. But here's my response when somebody says, the only way to preach biblically is verse-by-verse expository preaching. Here's my answer. Jesus. As far as we know, the greatest preacher of all time. And we don't have a single example of him taking the Old Testament Scriptures and going verse by verse and talking about the meaning of this Hebrew word and this thing here and doing what we call expository preaching. Now, he he did what I would call real expository preaching, which is he read the passage about the Messiah and said, hey, this is fulfilled in your hearing today, exposing the truth behind the Word. He certainly did that. But it was not verse-by-verse preaching. Now, don't get your hopes up, but we'll be going back to that. <laughs> but, but in this series of the greatest of all time, many times what you will experience from this pulpit is a big-picture look at a story. You know who did a lot of that? Jesus. A lot of parables, lots of stories. And so we're taking this story today of Paul on this journey. Last week, we looked at the story of the patient father, right? The prodigal son. 
right? That was the one we looked at last week. This week, the story of Saul, Paul on the road of Damascus. And if you look at Acts chapter 9, it talks about how Paul is, uh, Saul, is on his way to Damascus to persecute the church there, which is a great reminder to us all again that the church is people. He was not on his way to burn down a building. He was on his way to attack the men and the women, the people, to persecute them. They believed differently than he did in his strict Judaism about who the Messiah was. So let's talk about this Saul of Tarsus for a moment. Very interesting. The guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, God used him, spoke through, him, through the Holy Spirit to, through him. As far as we know, no direct contact with Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry here. None whatsoever that we can discern. After Jesus died on the cross, the disciples began to claim and teach that Jesus had been resurrected. And Saul, the good Jew, uh, did not appreciate what they had to say. He began to hear a lot about Jesus, and he found it, frankly, repulsive. Because he was a highly educated, sophisticated theologian. He'd had the best of rabbinic training, which meant that he had a very exalted concept, a very particular view of what the Messiah of God was going to look like, and Jesus of Nazareth was not it. That was not his view. He was irked by this connection that Jesus was the Messiah, not by a long shot in his view. Matter of fact, for Saul and those who thought like him, even the suggestion that some Galilean peasant who had wound up being crucified by the Romans was in fact God's anointed one was to Saul an incredible insult to Judaism. And so he proceeded to do to those heretics what his hero, King David, had done to the heretics of his day. He eliminated them as quickly as possible. He attacked them. He physically assaulted them. He was intent on obliterating these believers in Jesus, and he is on his road to Damascus to do that when we get to this story there in Acts chapter Nine. It's interesting, John Claypool, to whom I'm indebted today, he, he was a great preacher in an earlier generation. He said this, he said that next to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the two most significant events in the history of the Christian church were the restoration of Peter. You remember he denied Jesus on the cross. He later, after the resurrection, Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, brings him back into the fold. He said, it's the, it's the restoration of Peter after the resurrection and the radical conversion of Saul to Paul, who then becomes the lead witness to the Gentiles. He said, both of these, they were a shock to the people who were around them. Nobody could see this coming, and they both had long-lasting impact on all generations of Christians who would follow after them. Now, I agree with Claypool's analysis on this, that these are the two great events. However, 
May I point out, Peter's was after a breakfast by the lakeside, and Saul's was on a trip from Jerusalem to Damascus. So since our theme is road trip, I'm going with Paul today, okay? That's where we're going. And we're going to focus on that one, that transformation piece. And I've just got two quick lessons for you today, two road trip lessons that you might just want to tuck away. The first one you see on the screen, wherever you go, there you are. Everybody say, hmm. Hmm, hmm, yeah, see. So here's the deal. If you're going to go on a road trip to get away from it all, uh, no, you're not going to get away from it all because you are going with you. If you are running away, you take your mind, your memories, your thoughts, yourself with you. And there's, there's an old farmer's saying, if a donkey goes on a journey, it does not come back as a horse. Everybody say, hmm. <laughs> what it means is, listen, I'm going to put it, put it in different words. I'm going to ask you guys to put that up on the screen. Where we are does not change who we are or what we have done. Where we are does not change who we are or what we have done. So think about this in the context of the story of Paul, right? He's going down to Damascus. He encounters this bright light. He encounters Jesus, right? He has knocked off his horse. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you? This is the whole conversation that takes place. And then what happens? Saul is blind for three days. Three days to wait. Three days to think three days to reflect on his immediate past as a persecutor of the church. And I think one of the big lessons he learned in those three days was that there's no way to run away from your past. You have to own it. And so, let's think about the story again. Jesus literally knocks Saul off of this high horse with a blinding light a voice that says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And here's what's going on for Saul. Think about this for just a minute. Saul, who believes in God, right? He's sold out to the God of Judaism. He's hoping for the Messiah. He's been persecuting the false, he believed, false followers uh, of Jesus. And he realizes when he sees the blind light, when he's knocked off his high horse, when the voice says, why are you persecuting me? Saul doesn't say, okay, now where's the speaker? Who's playing the trick on me? He realizes he's in the midst of a serious spiritual experience. And so, realizing that this is serious spiritual business, he says, who are you, Lord? And the answer comes, I am Jesus whom you persecute. Wow. You think about somebody who was so committed to their faith, so committed to the living God as he understood him, to do the things that Paul has done. Paul is completely, he's, he's, not, he's not staying at home with a wife and three kids. He is going out to persecute people because he thinks he's defending his faith. That's how serious he was. Some of us could take a lesson from how serious he was taking his faith. But he finds out after all this dedication, he's going in the opposite direction. 
He's been persecuting this Jesus who he thought was a false god. And who are you, Lord? I am, and you understand what that means, right? I am Yahweh, the true and living God. I am Jesus. He says, I and the Father are one in so many words. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. An incredible surprise, an incredible shock to Paul, to Saul. This person, this one that he's been persecuting, this one who repulsed him as he thought a weak and inept model of what a Messiah would be, is in fact God's Messiah. Suddenly it dawns on Saul, he had been fighting God himself. He had been opposing the very one that he was supposed to be serving. Again, if you, if you don't have any religious convictions, that's, that's not very important to you. But for Saul, he wanted to please God above all else. And here he finds out that what he's been doing has got to change 180 degrees. It is a shock to discover that he's been fighting against God instead of serving God must have been a terrible humiliation. For all your training, for all your reading, for all your studying, and you can't even get the right question, who is God? And, and in addition to the humiliation, at least this would be for me, I think even bigger, the terror if God is who I think God is, and I've been killing his people, as Astro once said to George, Rutrow, <laughs> that's a, go back and look up the Jetsons, guys. I know you, you, you don't know what I'm talking about. These, uh, Netflix or somebody will have them. Hulu, I don't know. The terror that must have hit him how can God be anything but angry with me given what I've done? You ever ask yourself that question? How could God really love me? I know God is love. I know he loves other people. There are some beautiful people in here. But how can God really love me in light of what I've done? Second road trip tip for you today, second lesson. Don't let your baggage drive the journey. You see, we, I understand we all choose our vehicles for trips based on the number of people in the car, right, that we got to carry, the luggage we have to take. But, but there are limitations. Too much luggage, it's like that European vacation, stay in a all on top of the, or what, a vacation, put on the car, blah, blah, blah. Too much luggage gets in the way. It takes the joy out of traveling. You have to make decisions about where you're going to park and where you can stay and how you can secure the luggage and all that stuff because you don't want it to disappear, these valuable possessions, and it just messes up the journey. So be careful about the baggage issue. And of course, I'm not talking about physical baggage, right? We're talking right now about the baggage from the past. When Jesus begins to deal with Saul, he's not paralyzed by Saul's mistakes. Saul is, but Jesus is not. Jesus' focus is about the present and the future. And let me just say this to you, brothers and sisters, if your past, if your baggage is bogging you down on the road trip of life, here's some good news. God is always more concerned about the future than he is about the past. Always. Always. He's more interested in what you just may yet become, hallelujah, than what you have been. I know Saul was grateful for that. 
And if you really say, really, can, can I really trust that? I mean, how could God have that kind of mercy, that kind of hope for me? Go back to what Jesus said. I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. And if that's God's intention, then his focus must be the future. You understand that, right? The future is the only place of possibility. The past is set. You can't go back. You can't change it. You can't fix it. You can't undo it. The future is the only realm that remains fluid. What is going to happen as you move forward, hopefully with God? Uh, The Bible puts it this way. It talks about the clay in the hands of the potter. That's the future. And God is more concerned about that than all the other things that make up these great pasts that we think we have. Saul, Paul, became a spiritual giant because he accepted God's way of looking at things for the future. That was his conversion. He chose the God who really is focused on the future rather than the past. Now, folks, let me just say this. We've all known people, unfortunately, even in church, who simply cannot let go of the past. They cannot let go of what used to be. They are filled with remorse or regret or anger at what other people have done. And and they just get bogged down and they rehash that past over and over again. So bogged down that they are crippled when it comes to moving into the future. They don't know how to just lay it down, to lay down what used to be. And I don't know why we as humans on this road trip called life find it so difficult to do something and then just put it down and move on, but we struggle. We obsess about the past at the expense of our future. Jesus did not come to condemn us about the past, but to give us a new future. That's what it's about. He did not come to condemn Saul for what he had been doing, but to open up a new way. Certainly, he wanted the persecution to stop, but he wanted Saul to find that new future. He was more interested in what Saul could do for the Gentiles than all the evil Saul had done. And so, I would just say for us, our past has a tremendous gift to give us in terms of its teaching, its lessons. We forget the past. We are what? Condemned to repeat it. We're condemned to repeat the same mistakes. But we should not get hung up in the past. In a few days, we're going to celebrate July 4th, the birthday of our country. And we should. We should. If there's any future for our country, we have to learn the lessons of our past. And there's inspiring history with great men and great women and great movements and folks who sacrifice for this this country. But there is also history of which we are rightly ashamed. And we have to learn those lessons too or we'll repeat those mistakes. And once we learn those lessons, then we've got to learn to put the past in the past and move forward into the great future. That's got to be the hope for America. And you see, this is the same thing in a church and in your life spiritually. It's not about the past. It's about the future. When Saul was not to the ground, Jesus did not proceed to keep him there and pummel him into the ground. He, he knocked him off of that high horse, right, off of that attitude, off of that wrong belief. 
But he opened the way for Saul to become a different kind of person, a witness of love to the Gentiles instead of an instrument of violence. And that's what would lead Paul to say, talk about a great road trip, much later in life, Paul wrote these words, this one thing I do on the road trip of life, forgetting those things that lay behind, reach forth for those things that are ahead, I press on toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I believe if we can grasp the fact that God is still today more interested in our future than our past, we understand that God can do something great in every situation. He is fantastic at working all things together for our good, leading to something better. If we can learn from Paul's experience on the greatest road trip of all time, then I think we're going to find out that being on a journey with Jesus is a pretty good road trip for us to be on as well. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I simply ask today that you fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you, that you continue to be patient, you continue to work these things that are who you are, that you be faithful to those things. Continue to grow us and teach us. Help us to be less of what we used to be and less focused on the past and more of what we can become as we walk into the future with you. Please. Amen.